Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to the Pants Party. Terrison Star, Boilerhawk, HD underscore star, joined by Minnesota's favorite son, Harmon Chillabrew himself, Ben Ross. It has been a while, my friend. How are you doing? It's good. It's really good. It's tough. I mean, it's e- it's it's pretty easy being Minnesota's favorite son these days because a lot of the guys we're exporting aren't the best. Um, right? The pillow, my pillow guy comes to mind, oh, yeah. and uh, Joe Mauer has been missing for basically since, since his retirement. Not actually, oh, yeah. but <laughs> more or less. <clears throat> and now Matt Burke is also reaching Mike Lindell status. So it's. Um, it's pretty easy. Even Mike Tice doesn't really want to be associated with the state. He's off to Seattle for good, I think. Uh, so, uh, yeah, heavy as a head that wears a crown. I'm proud to share it with other past winners, such as Paul Bunyan and the Hams Beer Bear and the Pillsbury Doughboy. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That That is quite – you got to four. That is a – that's a Mount Rushmore. Uh, it is. It's, and I don't want to take credit for it. I actually have a piece of art on my wall that is called Minnesota Abbey Road, and it is the Hams Beer Bear, Paul Bunyan, and the Pillsbury Doughboy crossing the Mississippi River. Fantastic. With you. With you. With You're me. Yeah, it's a car- character. What's it called? Uh, is that what called? Caricature of me yeah. riding a buggy, eating an eating a elephant ear. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. So. How, how have things been? Like, look, I feel like we have to, to reset a little bit. This is what I would say is the first of a couple, probably preview podcasts as we head into the football season. So just like, how's your summer been, my man? The worst. So bad. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, <clears throat> I had mono, which is a thing adults can get, I guess, for five weeks. Uh, that was the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, that was the worst. It's funny, but it's not like it's not funny at all. But it's, uh, my golf not game. Not healthy. It's funny. Yeah, my golf game has never been worse. Um, I broke a driver over my knee uh, playing <laughs> playing this past weekend, um, which led to some un- unhappy family members. Er, you know, so things are going really well for me. Um, I am seeing Brian Ferentz getting inflated by the press. Couldn't have happened to a nicer dude, more deserving guy. Um, <clears throat> it's really humid. I'm doing this first podcast ever in a tank top. I had to make a tank top because I don't own one, but it's so hot and I'm out of shape from <laughs> being being sick for five weeks. So. Things are really, uh, things are going up over here at Casa de Ben. How, how are things in your household? Well, I mean, it was, I mean, the, to me, I think the funniest thing about, like, how our summers have overlapped is once you got healthy, um, my wife, she had a work trip uh, for a couple days, which, um, let, you know, I, I managed. Elliot's a, a good baby for, for 
what he is, but that was the first like step down in my uh, half marathon training. And then uh, that Thursday was when I got like the first symptom of COVID as I like go back and like, as I always say, Rolodex, everything that happened. It was a horrible run on, on a Thursday. I'm like, ah, maybe it's just because it's an early morning. But then uh, Christina got some uh, real bad symptoms. Uh, Elliot got bad symptoms, and, and then I did as well. And that started, like, as you said, like, you know, it just a horrible summer, horrible summer. Um, so that was, like, almost a month ago now. And then I finally got back into half marathon training a couple weeks ago. It was going poorly. Um, you know, I wanted to run for a, a time. No way that's going to happen. But, you know, I ticked off the 10, 10 mile box um, this past weekend at a nice little, uh, what, I, what do I call it? Shuffle. So, um, you know, it's going to happen uh, in Madison this weekend, which, you know, I guess it's something to be sort of proud of, but oh well. But yeah, really weird summer so far. And, as you said, like, I don't know if we just want to get right into it um, with the athletic uh, six-hour interview with Brian distilled into 4,500 words. Um, what else do you want to talk about before I think we, we should eat our vegetables first. Uh, because, oh. because breaking down that article is going to be masturbatory. But, uh, fair, <laughs> enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I don't know. Is is this your first? I want to go back to your marathon training. I'm missing the yeah. Big Ten 10K because I am so woefully out of shape, and we briefly discussed that on the pod. Is this your first half? 13, so one, yeah. So like the history of me running is an interesting one. Like never really ran in uh, high school. Kind of got into it in college. Uh, and then it like turned into my preferred exercise. Like once I, you know, got into the working world since I was traveling and that was, there's always a treadmill. So I could always just kind of crank out three to five miles. Uh, I think 2014 was my first half marathon, ran Ooh. a few, did a couple of like the Ragnar races, um, which are like the, the mm -hmm. team relay races, which are, they're pretty fun. Um, but uh, then my last race, I remember this hilariously vividly. It was the Dallas Half Marathon, Rock and Roll Half Marathon, and it was March, and it ended up being like a 95-degree day. Mm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm retiring from this. Uh, and I just got back into it. I was going to run the Bentonville Half Marathon before... COVID hit, I got up to nine miles there and then I just like COVID happened and we had bought a house and I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm going to mail that one in. So this is the first one since that. I'm like, ah, might as well, might as well. That's part of the reason we're going up there. We're going to see family, but the, the decision was around the, the race. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And then, you know, enjoy some housewarming parties at, at one of my brother's houses. So it'll be, it'll be fun. That sounds nice. I am gonna find your bib number and download the app for whatever races this is being raced and forget to follow you. Oh well, that's that's very kind of you. 
I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, I mean that, that's it. Like, I think I like running. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> as as I've alluded to on on the podcast, right? Like the Peloton, I, I just got obsessed with that thing. Um, so I'm a little mad that that has not been as uh, heavy of my exercise rotation. Um, but do, doing a couple, a ride here or there, and you know, I, I'm excited to finish this and. You know, maybe probably keep on running a little bit. I don't know. I want to get into a little more strength training, Ben. I know Ooh. you're the, the guy for that. Um, but we we shall see how things go in Madison. So Sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you, are there any more vegetables you want to eat before, the, before we get there? Well, yeah, I think, you know, let's talk a little bit about... What were the other two topics you had besides Brian? Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so Keegan Summer League. Mm. Um, I know you said before we were talking, here's here's what I'm going to tee up for. The how frustrating does it make the end of last year to, to frame it in an Iowa perspective? So that's the worst, you know? Um it seen him even though all the Keegan Murray I watched this during the summer league was via Twitter on my phone. Just whatever highlights were served to me by accident. And they were great. And to see him average what, like twenty five and ten, shooting forty three percent. Right? Yeah, that's more, that's more about, or less. Yeah. Over the course of what, ten games? I know I'm not even... Yeah, seven, I think. And, like, uh, is it even fair? What is... I don't think he's playing against scrubs, right? One step above scrubs? Would that be more fair? Yeah, so, like, as I wrote in my write-up, I think people... People now underrate Summer League and the competition involved. Interesting. I, I, and I think it's it's from two different directions, right? Because these are professionals, like... Even if you look at Keegan Murray, for the last three and a half months, he's been a professional basketball player. And, and obviously, number four draft pick, so high-level professional. But they're all professionals. They're all more developed bodies than um, they were, or the ones he was going against. And they're all fighting for paychecks. Like I, I, it, It's so much different when you, the proverbial meal on the table is what you're chasing. And it's... Not the NBA. Not going to try and sell it as the NBA, but I think from an athleticism standpoint, a skill standpoint, it is certainly a step above college. What about how would you compare this to the G League? Uh, that's an interesting question. I would say almost in line. Um, I feel like the G League like most, just because you have the teams. There's not the, like the G League. Aspect. There's not really G League players playing in the summer league, right? It's no, there are. There but are not, like, but not, not a ton. Not isn't it mostly, from what I understand, recent draft picks and then like guys from Europe trying to make a name, getting a try. Yeah, so it's not like your. Yeah, it's not like the Sacramento Kings are taking their like even whole, Jared Utah play for yeah. a team. Yeah. Yeah. He got run. Um, and, like, if he so, had made it, like, and has also, sidebar, to cut you off for the third time, 
Uh, has there ever been a case of a guy like Jared Udoff sticking after being a known commodity for six, seven years overseas and then doing something like this and then making a team? I'm sure you could find one. Um, I'm sure you couldn't. PJ Tucker, I actually think, is is one who was a guy who played abroad for two or three seasons. Utah, he, I mean, he graduated in 2016. So. Yeah, so I, I think PJ Tucker's probably the biggest success story in terms of playing abroad, mm. finding a spot through the summer league. And then, I mean, he was what? Like the the yeah. fourth best player on a on a championship team last year, if my memory serves. So yeah, I mean, that's who you're he was trying in Europe to be. For, if you're Jared Utah. He was in Europe for five years before he got to the smokes. Yeah. Oh wow. First first team was called Hapol Holen. Can you name which country that is in? Hapolo Holen. It's there's no way that's the. the uh, Netherlands? No. You'll never get it. Okay. This. What is it? Israel. Oh. Yeah. Arena, the arena seats 5,000. Good for him. Yeah, good for, good for PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker, shout out. So, like, you so, know. So, to answer your question. Back, back to my question, yeah. Answer that. Seeing Keegan Murray win MVP <laughs> just drives the heart. It drives a knife into my heart following this loss to Richmond. It just... every Everything that Keegan does that's so spectacular is one day further away from that Richmond loss, but it's still fresh in my mind. And it's... It just stays... Like, I want to be happy for him. And I even, like, I'll say it. I don't think I said this on the last time we spoke. I texted you saying, I wish there was a way to short Keegan Murray's career because I thought, like, getting drafted by the Kings would be the equivalent of getting drafted by, you know, the Browns or the Jaguars, let's say, is, Mm -hmm. I think, the the most equivalent proxy. And shit, like, (laughs) I know you only need two guys to really make things click in the NBA and Keegan, and you can still make something work if you have one guy and if Keegan turns out to be that guy like and we couldn't beat Richmond the team that put out a 5-5 guy point guard like oh you want to talk about Gilliard he was on like the team that played Keegan that very first game I think oh really like are you kidding why do I have to see Justin Gilliard again like I've never wanted to see him again in my life and there he was uh, awesome. There was not a Bohannon-like point guard for him to outplay. You will be surprised to know that. Cool. Um, but yeah, like I, I think where where I wanted to settle right in, in talking with Nick was no, like just to to come at it from the perspective you were trying to right. Just all all happiness for Keegan, like lifelong dream, and by all accounts, like the kid just wants to win just wants to work. Sacramento has a team that is very interesting. They're getting buzz. Uh, Kings Reddit is aflame with the love of Keegan Murray. So like, as I jokingly changed my profile on uh, Twitter, lifelong Kings fan here, 
Um, I gave myself a crown. Uh, I am 1,800 miles east of Sacramento. Like, I can't believe I'm all in on the Kings right now. Or as all in as I can be until I buy merch that is very underwhelming. So, Keegan Murray talk. Love yeah. to see it. So I guess the next question is, what do you think about Chris? Like, is this going to be a thing? Yeah, so like I was looking at some draft boards and Sam Vicenni, I can never pronounce his name, I think that's it. He had Chris at 19. My personal opinion is that is probably closer to his ceiling than his floor. Like Keegan this time last year Mm. was maybe mid-20s and that felt like, oh, maybe he can get himself into the lottery. And he did. I just think Chris has a little more volatile of a game. In terms of, you know, living and dying a little bit more by the three-pointer. And he's going to be um, even older. That was a big knock on Keegan, was his age. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be a huge deal if he snuck into the lottery again. Uh, top 14 pick. So, um, that's to me, that's plausible. I don't see him going as high as Keegan by... I mean, but who knows? Maybe he puts up another 23-point season. Maybe. <laughs> How about you? Did you see the the funny stuff about uh, Chris uh, in the media availability today? No, nothing. So, I mean, this is a silly story to to talk about, but um, they put up Chris's picture at the NBA draft twice, which obviously, like, (laughs) chafed Keegan. Chris's joke was they put up the better-looking twin. So he's, he's got the last laugh there. That's good. Good, 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 good banter. I can appreciate that. I know. Yeah, Halas had it. Halas had the the scoop there. Credit credit him for that good. question. Good. Um, some more vegetables, Ben. Uh, in our absence, uh, USC and UCLA, two new Big Ten members. Thoughts. Uh, so there's nothing I can say that is going to be smarter or more succinct or more pertinent than I've listened to 14 dozen podcasts already and read that many articles about it too. It's just, it's cool. I mean, I, I, I do think the, the only thing that like sticks out to me is like why I feel bad for like the swimmers at USC and polo players and things like that. Like the, non-football and basketball sports basically like they get really screwed um i think like a team of 100 swimmers going to bloomington indiana from california instead of like getting to go to washington or something for a swim meet on a tuesday night doesn't make make much sense to me and i think maybe this will turn the cogs of uh, two mega conferences and eventually football being its own type of deal but at the same time, too, something more interesting thing I said today, or I heard, I heard today on uh, Pablo Torre's podcast was, mm-hmm. you used to measure success in the Big Ten just by going to the Rose Bowl, and now you go yeah. to the Rose Bowl every single year, every other year, every two years. How do you measure success? Which I realize I mean, I is like a, a bit of a straw man in a way. Like it's not important. 
but it is also like indicative i think too of just like how simple football used to be and college sports used to be like so many people have said college football is based off of you know hate and contempt for your neighbor uh if they went to iowa state and not iowa and like that, that's still true uh, on a macro sense between Iowa and Iowa State, but now it's less true for people, um, you know, UCLA and Washington. I don't know how Pac-12 rivalries work, but that's getting torn torn from them. And, you know, it's also selfish. It's like, all right, USC and UCLA, two more wins for football. <laughs> like, uh-huh. it's nice. <laughs> nice to see. Um but, but I mean, this, this was going to happen. I'm not going to try and be stick in the mud and say it's going to ruin the sport or anything like that. Like the way I, it's the same way I thought about NIL. It's like it's going to be chaos for the first five years, and then it'll be corrected either through you know like it fixing itself or through legislation. And the same thing's going to happen with this. Yeah, I think that's a. That's a great point. Like, I think the only of the maybe the the three expansions that the Big Ten had in my lifetime. So like Penn State, Nebraska, Maryland, and Rutgers. Um, I actually think the only one that corrected in flight in a way that we didn't expect is Nebraska. Like, I think when Rutgers and Maryland joined, they were they were location plays. They were just such non-factors. Think, like, yeah. they didn't have the fan base Nebraska has, or the history. Yep. And so nobody gave a crap about what they were saying, what they were doing, what was going on with them, because it was just going back to USC and UCLA. To an even large, much larger extent, they were just wins on the schedule. And that's it. Whereas yep. Nebraska is a win on the schedule, but so many Iowans live in Nebraska, and so many Iowans live in Nebraska Twitter, that it, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Maryland Twitter doesn't exist, and Rutgers Twitter doesn't exist. Right. Uh, and that, that's just how it is. So I, I do agree with you there. And like Penn State, that happened when I was one or two years old, and that just always seemed yeah. like a natural fit. That was just like easy peasy. Yeah, and, like, it's, it's interesting because, like, there was this Reddit post that went, and this is more, like, broad expansion talk, right? But the, the Reddit post that went, uh, I don't know if viral is the right word, but they talked about what it was like as a West Virginia fan. And basically, like, as an independent, and I think Penn State is a little bit in this category, right? Because there were the, you know, three to four kind of northeastern type of schools that would always play each other, Um but Penn State, to your point, like it felt very natural for them to like slide right into the Big Ten. And I'm sure this is all I've known is Penn State in the Big Ten. So like they they are a Big Ten school, but you do lose out on that regionality that developed because of the fact that oh we have to take a train from. You know, State College, Pennsylvania, to the six to eight schools that are closest, and uh, you lose you lose on out on that. And I think that I'm I'm actually impressed that 
the Big Ten got USC and UCLA, but I also just don't necessarily know how to feel other than it, they were either going to the Big Ten or somewhere else, right? Like, especially as you read the tea leaves on all this Pac-12 stuff and Larry Scott having just been, like, we... I've never been, like, a total hater of Kevin Warren, but, like, I've understood how he was not been good. Larry Scott just ruined that conference. And it's... I think maybe that's the saddest thing, Ben, is, like, how one person more or less can set the framework for uh, college sports changing into a national type of thing. Cause like, I'll be honest, like I think it's going to be fun, right? Like I think you'll, what you'll see is the big 10 try and own every day uh, or every Saturday with, you know, games at every time slot, including USC or UCLA getting relegated a little bit to those super late night games. And I'll finally care about those, to, to be frank. And I think that that's got to be part of the bet, right? Is that, hey, USC and UCLA are sort of premier, they're premier brands. USC is a premier brand. And the fact that they don't do numbers is indicative of who they're playing with a rapid Big Ten fan base those late night games will draw Big Ten fans in a way that sleep used to draw Big Ten fans, right? Like, I mean, that's that's kind of how I view it. The interface changed, and I can never find my unmute button. Anyway, the, you bring up the Kevin Warren thing. Who was the guy who succeeded? I already forgot his name. Delaney. Tim, uh, De, um, Delaney. Jim Delaney. De, Delaney. I almost said Tom Delaney. I know a Tom Delaney. Um, Delaney bot. You always talk lovingly about him because, and not 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 you. Sorry. Well, you do sometimes. Uh, everything. Everybody always talks so lovingly about him because he ushered in the Big Ten Network and therefore ushered in unspeakable amounts of money for the Big Ten, and that's all they talk about. Uh, no matter whatever scandal he oversaw, whatever he turned a blind eye to, and any other successes and failures, all pale in comparison to bringing in Big Ten money. And rightfully or wrongfully, I don't really have a huge opinion on the matter. So Kevin Warren, though, has been, you know, it's probably, I'd say, a loud minority of people have been very against him, but I think in reality... He's probably done a fine job, but now he's just cemented a financial legacy for his. Would you what would you call him? Beneficiaries, employer in a way, employers. I don't really know, but he has just secured so much fucking money for his clients. He's like the guy. Um, he's like the actuary in The Big Short, right? Where none of them wanted him wanted him to short the housing market, and he did, and he made them all ass loads of money that's just sort of what i feel like and i can't blame him for it at all looking for an you take your easy w's wherever you can you're muted <laughs> i think that's the thing that was most impressive was like he, he he just went after the big fish right like i i think there's a, a way that big 10 expansion hems and haws and gets to 20 by slowly moving west 
But no, just getting the two best you can to make it a clean 16. Like, I I like 16 as a conference number. Like, I, I can't argue that. Like, I think the, the schedules work um, for the two big sports. Um, but to your point, like, the, the kids that are going to be on red-eye flights, like, <laughs> literally red-eye flights, they're already bad, right, from, like, Maryland to Iowa or Nebraska, but... You're, you're traveling a whole country and uh, and not just a whole country, a whole country the size of the United States. And it is um, not ideal, not ideal, but, you know, money talks, as they say. And that's the thing, too. It's like if I were, you know, I didn't go to the Rose Bowl in 2015, but it's like, you know, if they do make it now... It's like, well, I'll just wait three years because I know UCLA is on the schedule. You know, so I don't think that's like a huge deal, but that is something to consider too. It just takes like the pastiche off of getting to, and like same with like the Holiday Bowl. You know, now that happens yeah. every year instead of maybe every handful of years um, at, at best. It now happens at least probably every other year and or every three years and it just I don't want to say cheapens the experience it just makes other I guess like bowl games or other postseason playing location opportunities uh, more enticing I guess it just displaces a bit of the fandom that come along with being a college football fan yeah I think that the Rose Bowl points precedent but to, to me like if if I go back and I look at kind of the timeline of events, the Rose Bowl died when I saw that TV schedule came out and the Rose Bowl was leading into Monday Night Football. And like I was just like, oh, that sucks. Like it's not the crown jewel anymore, uh, to your point of, of Big Ten games. So, you know, you, you see that and then it's like, oh, you know, I, wouldn't it be a little more fun to like take over the LA Coliseum or Rose Bowl as a, a road fan? And like, is that something that like USC and, and UCLA are prepared for? Because I feel like the first round of games that they host are going to be overwhelmingly road crowds, right? Like I, I, that's the thing I'm most curious to see about. And the other thing that surprised me was like my dad was pretty excited. Like he's not super online. I think super online people are a little more excited for it than like the super offline people. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I was kind of surprised by that. Did, did your dad, uh, big 10 alum have a hot take while, while you were back in Minnesota? Yeah. His hot take is he's fucking in love with it because this entire business hinges on people buying <laughs> collegiate branded <laughs> athletic wear. And so he, you know, now that, there are more you see at UCLA and USC are going to be playing I guess more important games or uh, larger brand names that only I think <laughs> uh, what is it inflates the value of their merchandise which he loves and I can't blame him oh that's good 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 for uh the Ross Empire up yeah, in uh, that I <laughs> am not allowed Paul. anywhere near <laughs> Well, speaking of sons who aren't allowed anywhere near anything, well, man, you teed me up, man. <laughs> uh, 
we're, 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 we're finally here, Ben. Um, the, the Brian Ferentz uh, athletic article. I, I have some takes. I, I think uh, it was funny getting your texts earlier today, just mm-hmm. like spouting off four or five different like uh, hot takes. And I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, since I know you've got some thoughts. No, I think you should sort of set the table first. I think. Oh, sure. 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 sure because sure. You know, right, I, right, I read right, the whole right. article on like a plane and the texts I sent you were in airplane mode. So I got delivered out of order as soon as I landed. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So I guess here, here's the table, right? Brian Ferentz and, what is becoming like an annual event, his PR blitz uh, last year, it was the two to three hour long It was with Chad. Uh, podcast year, right? With, with Chad Lights yeah. the Cow. This year, the six hour film session um, with the athletic Scott Docterman. And for, first, like, it is an interesting article. Like, I, I'm not going to sit around here and beat around the bus like, oh, I didn't learn anything reading that. Like, Brian Ferentz has been around the game for his whole life. I am around it tangentially. You can learn from that, like, as much as I may not like him. But Docterman really kind of, to me, I think it was interesting because it was discussion primarily around Ohio State in 2017 and the Northwestern 2020 game. In the podcast that Docterman did with Morehouse of all people, old friend alert, um, in the kind of aftermath of it, he mentioned that they talked about, you know, three to four other games. Um, but those are the two that made it to print, so to speak. And, um, this is where, this has been ultimately your, your greatest take. It has endured the resume test and no, more obvious has it been that like Brian's career has been built on this Ohio State game than a recounting of it five years later. I mean, that's my biggest problem. I talk about every day Keegan does something great, we're a day further away from that Richmond loss. Every day Brian pees his pants is one day further away from beating Ohio State. And what ultimately ended up being such a non a game of such non-consequence Iowa gained nothing out of that Ohio State I don't think they lost another game that regular season regular season two right so I don't think it knocked them out of the playoff or anything did it it certainly didn't help but like I think to your point like you go back that wasn't it at 2017 it it wasn't the only strike against yes Ohio State and you weigh that against the 2020 Northwestern game, and there are dozens of those. There is two, There are two of those a year, uh, or actually three, because you have you get Wisconsin, you get Purdue, and you get Northwestern. So there's usually three of those games a year. So in my mind, we are taking two games that are outliers of Brian's entire career as offensive coordinator. And one of them happened five years ago, so that's even a greater outlier. And the other happened during a season that I would also, I think I'd like to give the coaches a lot of leeway and just basically say it never happened. And nothing shows, proves my point more so than Iowa murdering Wisconsin, 
that same 2020 season and Iowa murdering Penn State that same 2020 season and having an All-American defensive lineman and All-Big Ten defensive player of the year on that same roster. Like, all of those just point to aberration for that Iowa football team. So I think spending however many 3,000 words, let's say, in six hours about those two games is such a... I love Scott, former co-worker. He's good at what he does. I just think it is so strange to, to pick out those two games for... And I, I know I did Ohio State, at least. Pick something more interesting for the flabbergasting loss. I would have done the Kentucky game uh, in the bowl game this past year off the top of my head. That's still fresh in my mind. Any Purdue loss, literally any, I would have done even though <laughs> yeah, even though yeah. a lot of those could be chalked up to Phil even having some pretty poor games, but yeah. Brian didn't do anything to help, and that's why it would be interesting. It'd be like, why alright, spotlight your fucking security blanket is lost so what are you going to do to help? And came up with nothing. Um, any Wisconsin game, too, really. It's just like, I think it gave him such an easy out by being able to talk to that North- about that Northwestern game in the, the COVID season. Yeah, like, I, I think if we're looking at two games that were losses that I would have preferred to see him talk about or write about would have been tw- the 2018 season, which I think is probably, it, it, it's... Mm-hmm. To, to me, that's the most. That is by far the most "what if" season of Kirk's tenure, of Brian's tenure. Like t- to me, to have two first-round talents at skill positions, which they are at Iowa, and to win nine games. To, to me, like you have to talk about that Northwestern loss, and you have to talk about the Purdue loss. And, and here's why I would have wanted to even talk about the Purdue loss is like that's one where it was. It's kind of those games where I kind of wish we had more of, which were games in the 30s where Iowa had to come back, you know, and that was one of Brian's better games, in my opinion, because it kind of was one of those areas where, as Dr. Min said in the podcast that followed, it's like, oh, we knew, Iowa knew that they needed to get to, 35 points to beat Ohio State. It's like, I would like them to have that mindset every single game where, oh, we need to get to 35 points. And they don't do that because you got Phil Parker, like you said, the ultimate security blanket, if, if I interpreted your your uh, quote correctly. Right. And, the fact, and it's just, it's so infuriating that, like, to your point, very easy outs. Um, I also think, like, that... that Ohio State game and even the USC game that that uh, document touched on in the podcast. I think it it does not give enough credit to the other areas of the the team. Like Josh Jackson had what like three interceptions. Amani Hooker had that immediate pick six. Like the the run back from Amir Smith Marset like. I went back and you look at the USC stat line from from that game, and it's it's inflated how much you think that Tracy Smith Marset et cetera had an impact on that game offensively, because like they really didn't. Like it, it, it's really kind of a retrospectively weird box score to look at, and to say nothing of the fact that in 
both the USC and Ohio State game, Nick Bosa went out targeting almost immediately. I mean, that's a totally different game. Potentially, if he um, is able to to play the full thing, like I, uh, imagine if Aiden Hutchinson had uh, got knocked out for targeting in the Big Ten championship game. I would imagine that would probably have been a different game, right? No, not at all. You don't think it would have been even marginally more different? The out- like, I was not giving up. The outcome- they're losing, probably. Okay. No, not but probably. Seventy-five percent chance. Well, it's if, if he the went out quarter. at the same time, it wasn't as it was fourteen to three at halftime. Like that's what mm. is so infuri- infuriating about the Big Ten championship game is. 14 to 3 isn't it's not losable. Right? It's it's horrible position, but like Petrus had been injured, they roll him out, he turns the ball over, they score 21 to 3 game over. Halftime's a perfect time to put your eggs in the the Padilla basket and see if he can go make it a four-point game. Um but to me it's just like uh it's interesting stuff. Like Doc deserves credit for for the interview, but like from a Brian Ferentz perspective, like to me, it's just what he does. Like his press conferences regularly go the longest. Um, he he is a filibuster, and uh, like the way that Doctor Men wrote how they went through Petrus's interception in. The, the Northwestern game for 45 minutes. Come on. that That's Brian doing exactly what Brian wants to do. So that's my... That's part of the... Re, that's... I don't want to... My favorite, I will say, my favorite brand of podcast is a bunch of snarky guys taking, like, a piece, a long article from a legacy legacy media source and just reading it line from line. Oh, and sure, Breaking sure. it down. So we're not going to do that, but I do want to read... The something that stuck out to me with Doctorman Doctorman's piece, and he goes <clears throat> during those six hours, Brian Ferentz's reactions were analytical and raw. He judged himself harshly and identified where players made mistakes. He acknowledged opposing strategies were better than his or the opponents who had strengths that were difficult to match. The only area he requested limits on was related to player criticism. In several breakdowns, there were pass catchers running run routes running backs carrying the ball in the wrong hand, and slow quarterback reactions. All of those comments were kept on background. There's no way an untrained observer can comprehend a game plan's depth and detail in a session like this, no matter the background or familiarity. It's like switching from a riding lawnmower to a semi-truck. It required patience and deliberate explanations. Do you know what requires patience and deliberate explanations is watching Iowa play offense. Scott... I don't think gives fans any credit for that sentence. He goes, there's no way an untrained observer can comprehend a game plan's depth and detail. That is just not true. We There's a Thad Nelson on staff. He is able to uh, telegraph plays before they happen in Slack. He's able to identify where somebody missed a block or a wide receiver uh, ran the wrong route on a play, something that I can't do. But there's guys out there that can. And... I feel like that, and Hawkeye Game Film is another guy on Twitter who points out whenever somebody misses a block or a play fails, he 
that person is always able to explain what went wrong and and why. I guess and quickly, right on like, the fly, almost in real time, immediately, very real time. He's a it, must in, follow. Yeah, I, I think he's he is a trained eye. I think that's maybe Dockerman's point, but like, but we've we we we've been around this so long that I like it's it's not there. So I think I made the there's complications to it, but it's not rocket science. Like it is eleven versus eleven. A lot of moving parts, but it is not like it, it oversells the complication. And I think, in my opinion, that is a vote against Bryant. That he that that what he's putting together is so complicated that it requires going over something for forty five minutes for a six second play. And, and this is me just being anti Bryant, like a bias one hundred percent. But like. To me, if the system's complicated, if the game plan's complicated, of course it's going to be complicated to to who you're you're talking to. And I just think about like the discussion that's kind of happened in the Slack. I was talking about being more detailed. Iowa doesn't need more detail; they need simplicity, and that is something that is always infuriating this time of year. Like. Like, and that's why I'm just not necessarily excited about this football season. Like, Brian's presence looms like a crap cloud over it, and I don't know. Like, and, and do you want to talk about the cussing at all? Well, I'm not or, done. Or Brian's I demeanor keep, throughout. I want to keep going. Oh, oh, like, oh, 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 okay, 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 okay. It's like, and where my biggest point, like, where I think it, these words are so hollow, it's like, what is it? An untrained observer cannot comprehend. Uh, let's see the wrong hand and slow quarterback reactions. Some an observer can't see that. Just below that paragraph, there's a, a gif loop of Petrus misreading a blitz from North in that Northwestern game in 2020. Like we all f- can freaking see that, Scott. Like what are you trying to do here? And like carry this water. And when he talks about you know he kept the the derogatory comments to players on background. And all that tells me that Brian spent six hours complaining about Nick Easley's height and Matt Vandenberg's speed and this offensive lineman's slow feet and that offensive lineman's, you know, partying habits. And he's just bitching about the problems that coaches in every America, that uh, every coach in America, save for Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Dabo Swinney, are dealing with, which is mismatched guys playing against people who are going to be playing on Sundays against Michigan State and Ohio State and Penn State. And, like, that's Iowa football, you know? Like, that. that's, um, you know, Colin Sandeman running back a, a punt return for a touchdown against Ohio State or in the in the Orange Bowl or, you know, just I can't think of more Iowa guys right now, but it's like he's trying to hide. He's literally hiding Brian behind his players by I don't I'm not saying he should say, oh, Akram Wadley couldn't do this at the other thing. He shouldn't have included that. But I'm just saying like just including that s- sentence at all opens up that door, I think. Yeah, I'm with you, especially when, like, you look at some of the, the quotes that he does pull. Like, there, there are criticisms in there. Like, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's where it's interesting in terms of just, like, I, I guess I'm not quite sure just how the journalistic process works enough. But t- to your point, like, 
it's clear as day when you watch the gift loop of Petrus. He had like it's, to me. I think uh, I'm just looking at it and I'm complaining about it in real time. But to to me, the way he, I feel like there was still meat left on the bone in terms of like describing how a progression works for that specific play where it broke down because like to me the the one that he threw the interception on that looked like a play where Smith should have stopped at the sticks Petrus hits him right away first down move the ball and too too often and, and I think this gets to, to your water carrying comment a little bit too often complimentary football is used to explain bad offense instead of using it to reframe what Iowa's offense should be good at. And to me, turnover's fine. Like, obviously, you can't turn the ball over if you want to be an Iowa football player. But to, to, not, be, to not consistently reframe it as a media criticism standpoint of Iowa needs to convert in the red zone, and they didn't this past year. They were in the 120s. For red zone conversion percentage, I think they were even worse for touchdown percentage in the red zone, and they need to convert third downs. And to me, I think that just—I just hate the PR blitz. Like, like I said, I I don't like Brian. I think you know he's the only person who could do a six-hour interview like that. He's the only person who could get away with language like that. Like, um. And I think it's a performance that he's doing. This is kind of a stoops, stoops my ass point that, that we were going back and forth on this via email. It's a performance that Brian's putting forth in this interview. And to me, like, his performance is to be not his father. And there are ways to do that without flaunting it. And, and I think he, he does it in some interesting ways. I think he put bulleted board material on for the Ohio State game. I do think that, like, especially since they have a new defensive coordinator. Um, and it just, the, the whole thing, it just frustrates the heck out of me. Like I, like I said, his presence looms like a cloud. The complimentary football thing is the last point I wanted to bring up about it because in the article and in the comments, especially even further, it was bandied about left and right about how Iowa has, I think, the sixth, or the seventh best winning percentage since 2015, and the schools before them that do is Alabama, Clemson, OSU, Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, and Wisconsin. Do it? Does anybody talk about those teams playing complimentary football? Like they might say they do, but I don't think that's really at the forefront of dissecting Alabama's offense. No, it's because they have the best wide receivers in the nation and a very disciplined defense. Like that's why why they're so successful. Clemson has had the best quarterback in the country when they won their net. So, and then going back, Alabama Cle- it's that same list. Alabama, Clemson and Georgia all have national championships. Notre Dame has been to the playoff twice. Um, Ohio, Ohio State's been in the th- playoff three times and won a Rose Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma has won a Sugar Bowl and been a three-time conference champion. And Wisconsin has won a Cotton and Orange Bowl in all that time. And Iowa has done what in all of that? Two division championships. 
Like, like, because to your that, point, that's not a, a division ball. championship is is hollow to me. I don't care. Fair enough. And, and Fair one enough. of Look, those, and and, and I think last year should have an asterisk. I really do. Oh yeah, because just because of how it played out with yeah. needing Minnesota to beat Wisconsin. Okay, well, I think the the complimentary football, and I think this is a point beyond your point is like it holds this team back like if you go through the the games that that Iowa played last year there were six of them where they didn't score in the second half that's not complimentary football or excuse me didn't score offensive touchdowns in the second half their field goals their defensive scores and if you look at those games imagine it kept Iowa out of a a New Year's Six Bowl, as you described, because you consider that a level above the the division championship, which I think is fair, because style ports are, are involved, and Kirk Ferentz is never going to care about style points. Like this is us being a masturbatory Sisyphus, right? Like it, he's never going to compare about style, care about style points, but. In today's landscape, style points matter. And, like, it's fun to have style points. Like, I think one thing Brian said, and, and I, this was the one quote I wanted to pull, and it's something I said on Twitter. He said, like, very close to the top. Um, oh, my goodness. What? Um, where is this? Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, what are you looking for? Oh, look at the worst defenses in the league. How often does it correlate with one of the better offenses? More than you think. You just have to know who you are. You have to play complimentary football. Once. Once in the last five years has a bad defense had a good offense. And I'm talking about like top third, bottom third. And that was Maryland last year. So if this interview happened last year, Brian would have just... That's just him lying out of his ass. Like... Ohio State is putting up 40 points a game. Ohio State, and this is a stat that I'm, I've got for the, the write-up, Ohio State in their eight-game season scored 328 points, which is how many points Iowa scored in last season, 14 games. So, like, it's just... I, I know things aren't going to change, but, like, I just want a season where it, where it kind of goes off the rails a little bit and... Iowa ends up seven and five, six and six, scoring thirty-eight points, giving up twenty-eight. Like I wouldn't, just something different. And like that's what bothers me. It's like I see the writing on the wall. I don't see anything different happening. And that's that's why I've I've been so so pessimistic about the season and almost apathetic mm-hmm. about the beginning of the season. That's what bugs me so much, too, about, like, the complimentary football thing is, like, you can't tell me that at, scoring one more touchdown a game changes a goddamn thing in Phil Parker's playbook. You just can't. You can't. Even two more touchdowns a game. Now, the, the funny thing is, if I was scoring two more touchdowns a game last year, they still would have lost to Purdue, Wisconsin, and Michigan. The only <laughs> outcome would have changed is uh, the Kentucky game. But... That you know, that's not true for every year. You just can't tell me that change that making your scoring average uh, go up from twenty five points to thirty one points or thirty two points 
changes a single iota of our defensive statistics and outcome and game plan. It just doesn't. And that that just has that that bullshit has to be called out. It just does. Yeah, I think that the the way if Brian was looking to get at this, the way he should have said it was it is hard to score points in the big time. That would be the way I I had framed it because you, it's backed by statistics like there last year I think there were four or five top 20 defenses amongst the Big 10 according to S&P plus um it is hard, and you look at the the average scoring that teams have, you know, outside of Ohio State, it's probably two or three every season are above 30 points. So, like, it is hard to score in the Big Ten, but, like, <laughs> you don't have to do it the way Iowa does. Like, that that's ultimately, I think, where we settled on this, and... When I look at the roster that's coming back, it's without Tyler Goodson and pretty much every other important person involved, and Tyler Linderbaum. So that that's that's fun to replace an All American and an award winner. But um, I just the the case for Iowa being slightly better offensively is that Tyler Goodson's negative rushing yards. Those go away with Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams as a little more downhill runners with Caleb Johnson looking like just a big dude. But can it move the needle, I guess, is really what it comes down to. And I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I hate being so pessimistic about this season. I, like, I want to go in enjoying it, but it's just uh, I just can't get there yet. Uh, maybe maybe I will, and it's probably going to be when Phil Parker has a, a 30-minute sit-down to go over Iowa's play. Why don't you think, like, I know I say this every, almost every single podcast, but, like, because I've never been more apathetic at all about, I, I, I expected to sort of be back to the blog by now, and I just am not. I will be eventually, but, like, isn't part of it just we've seen this movie before? Like, we bought a ticket to see another goddamn Spider-Man, and I, Andrew Garfield just doesn't do it for me after seeing Christian Bale. Like, I don't... It, it just stinks, <laughs> you know? Like, everything's the same. Like, why am I going to get excited for something that I don't enjoy watching? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's ultimately where I kind of settle in is like, when has a quarterback returned and team results and individual results been great? And the, the, the ones that stick out are like Drew Tate, 2006, no, doesn't tick the box. Ricky Stanzi, 2010, no doesn't tick the box. He played better, but Iowa lost a lot of close games, which I fear could be how this season goes. Um, Rudock a little bit. 2014, he was injured. Beathard, 2016, that was a nightmare. Uh, Stanley, maybe, but you look at his his statistics in 2019, you know, they did win 10 games. They put up some, some fun ones, but there's always, it's college football. There's always going to be meat left on the bone for a team season, but 
it's I just don't know how what we saw last year wasn't the the ceiling on this cast of characters. And you know, some addition by subtraction may be across the roster, but like notably Charlie Jones is gone. Tyrone Tracy yeah. is gone, even though he was a basically a non factor last year. All American center is gone, as you said. Like what is there to make you think the offense is going to get better other than, like, really, really high exp- – and this is fair – like, really, really high expectations for guys like Keegan Johnson and uh, Arlen Bruce and Sam Laporta to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know. Like, I, I think the, the interesting thing was, like, Dr. Min, he had that one statistic where it's like – only two people have averaged more yards on more catches than than Johnson, and it was Marvin McNutt and I think C.J. Jones or Maurice Brown, uh, 2002. Um, so probably Brown. Anyways, Johnson had 15 catches last year, and Brown and McNutt were approaching 40. It's like maybe maybe that's I don't know if that makes me more pessimistic about last year or it makes me more optimistic about this year, like, oh, what can Keegan Johnson do if he's got 40 catches? Um, I don't know. Because, like, uh, it's just, like you said, it, it feel it, we've seen this movie before, um, and I, I'm just at the point where stacking wins as Kirk Ferentz tries to become the winningest Big Ten coach of all time it just doesn't really do it for me right now it just doesn't it does that make me a bad fan i don't know but it i just need i just need the entertainment um the entertainment uh dial to be turned up a little bit not not even to 11 just like take it from a two to a six Two to a six or seven. Like, I mean, is that too much to ask? We're simple people. We just need bread and circuses. And the circus hasn't had an elephant for a very long time. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I figured out how we're going to talk about this this uh, preview of this season, Ben. We just talked about the offense for uh, 30-some minutes. I think we'll do a defensive discussion and then a uh, schedule discussion. And, and that'll get us... Close enough to to game week. Fine by me. How many Saturdays left? Alrighty. Eight, nine, seven. Oh no, I think it's seven. Okay, we're, Jeez. we're pretty close, and I think it's even closer, right? When you, my man, there's a week negative. Nebraska, one, right? Northwestern, in Ireland. I should, I should try. Wait, is that tickets. happening? I should. That's happening. Yeah, man. they did reschedule. Okay. Yeah, because what was it? It was I guess it was Nebraska was the or wasn't it? It should it should have been Nebraska Illinois. That's right. Yeah, and, and that game that made me so sad. I, I went up to the day of thinking that that game yeah. was going to be. I think I corrected you on the podcast or maybe Dublin Ireland and that was that was fantastic. I still got Guinness though. I'm very um, happy for. Oh, that. here are two bits I've developed that. You know, just lighten the mood as we <laughs> we we go into the the, the night. Um, I, I got a Guinness shirt. Um, oh yeah. And 
whenever I wear it, I drink a Guinness. Scale of one to five. How do you rate that bit? It's, it's a good bit. I have a Taco Bell shirt, and I've worn a Taco Bell before. Incredible. That that that's a better bit. So I'll give mine a four. Your yours a five. Um, the other one I have. I've started to drink Peronis while eating Italian food. Mm, yes, hard. So I am. Yeah, hard agree. I I don't like wine. Um, so when I do go out to like a really nice Italian restaurant, I'll maybe have one glass of wine uh, if the table's ordering a bottle of something nice, and then I'll move on to a Peroni. Uh, or sometimes I'll have a different Italian beer, and I'll always get that. Uh, there's an amazing Chinese restaurant across the way from where I live. It's like pretty relatively authentic Chinese, and they have Chinese beer. I'll always get the, the Chinese Ooh. beer there. And then there's a great uh, ramen place near me, too. And they always have um, Sapporo. They serve it to you in a frosted glass, to like an ice-cold glass, and I, oh, it's it just hits. So I'm a big believer in matching the cuisine with the the beverage from the same country good good all right that 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 makes me feel good uh i i forgot how good peroni is though like really nice free ads really really nice but like a nice crisp beer like you know it's not the classic american light beer which is good right like you know i I love me some motolites but the peroni the peroni might be my favorite beer right now it's so funny been been having a lot of carbs it's so funny because i do remember like the beer my dad would keep in the house when I was way younger before like the craft beer boom happened and it was always a cycle yeah. of Heineken, Peroni, Stella, and Newcastle Brown Ale. And so like those are the only four beers he drank and he'd, he'd only have one six pack at a time and he would just rotate them out. Yep. And now with all the choices under the sun, like those are still the four beers that I don't like Heineken really, but like have you ever had a Newcastle Brown Ale lately? Like they are delicious. Um Peroni's great because oh, they they also they they also have the the nitro right. I have no idea if they have it. I haven't had it. Um, I also do think Stella is kind of gross, but you know, it's not the worst beer in the world. So it's funny. That was fine. It's funny. You know, I, I've been a beer snob. Big, give me all the hops you can. Local IPA, this and that. But it's like, no. At the end of the day, I just want something cold and consistent. Yeah, I, free ad. Uh, the, the 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 there is a brewery we we've taken to lately that has like the more German style beers the the lighter mm. stuff and it's like oh that really hits uh, natural state in Rogers Arkansas um, some good stuff uh, yeah there. I will say I don't know why anyone I'm not going to give this place an ad but like there's a brewery in Chicago that only only does German and like Bavarian and Belgian style beers. And I've got, I had a friend who's like a big beer guy. He's like, why would you ever get this over like a Y stuff on or, you know, or like a, a, an imported beer from Germany? It's like, well, it's, you would get, get this because it's like the same, same ingredients because Germany has those strict beer laws and it's way fresher. It's all like they, they say it's all stuff, all the ingredients are grown in Illinois, brewed in Illinois. Like the beer you're getting imported probably has been sitting in that bottle for six weeks at least, maybe as long as six months. Whereas, this has a brew date of two weeks ago, and like this tastes better than any German beer I've had, any Pilsner or Half a Weizen or whatever. And it's, I think, freshness just makes such a big difference. Really does. Mm-hmm. It really does. Anything else you want to hit on? 
I know I, I we, we went through some no I don't want a sandwich I feel like I feel like this is a good vent sesh like I, I think it was necessary to kind of cleanse and maybe maybe find some optimism by the time we meet next I I, I do have to say the defense looks incredible it's all good I I was prepared to talk about Jack Campbell but we'll save it for next week <laughs> oh do, do here, should they have picked anyone different? For, no, that's uh, what I was going to bring up. Uh, Big Ten Media Days. Okay. So they're bringing they're sending Jack yeah. Campbell, Kayvon Merriweather, and Sam Laporta. And I think it's three out of three. You'd probably, yeah. you'd probably uh, send only- Riley Moss over Laporta, but you, you got to send somebody from the offense. and You're not sending Petrus or Padilla out there. Laporta's the only guy you can. Really. Yeah. I think you could have done Moss over Campbell just because they're so different personalities. But Kayvon's the the right choice. Like I, I feel like that kid, he has a really bright future, whether it's sports or not. And to your point, Laporta and Campbell are the two. I mean, yeah, Kayvon came out and had a, a all Big Ten, All American light type season. Like I don't think anybody would be surprised. I'd be thrilled. Right. I'd be thrilled for him because he 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 he. I'm trying to remember the trajectory of his career. I remember him getting the early leash, maybe against uh, like Miami of Ohio. He started the. He I started think it was a when game, he was playing free safety. He started a game as a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, and then he got hurt that game, and then missed the rest of the season. And Kerner, okay, Kerner took over. Okay, that that's how that played out. Um, but yeah, I you know. Are we going to get Quinn Schulte as uh, the starting free safety? Is that what that's looking like? <sighs> Kill me. All right, too much defensive talk. We'll 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 go through it uh, next week or the week after. Uh, so, for Minnesota's favorite son Ben Ross, for myself Harrison Starr, go Hawks. I'm Mike Lindell, and I haven't slept in 13 days.